Welcome to the AMBOSS International Podcast, Beyond the Textbook. Joining us today, we have one of our amazing AMBOSS physicians and QBank content lead, Blaise Joseph. Our hosts are AMBOSS physician, Dr. Tanner Schrank, and AMBOSS International presenter, Sophie Neal. That's me. When it comes to being a great physician, there are a number of elements involved, and studying hard in med school is just one of them. Learning and recalling vast amounts of information is a key requirement as a medical student, However, it's once you're on the wards and putting that knowledge into practice that you really start learning how to become a doctor. Juggling and applying knowledge while incorporating strong communication and interpersonal qualities within patient care is something that can't necessarily be learned in a textbook and is a skill that gets better with practice. Today, we're talking about medical treatment from a patient's perspective, the importance of communication and empathy as a physician, and why it's worth improving these vital soft skills. Amazing. Thanks so much for that intro, Tana. And uh, once again, Blaze, thanks so much for joining us for today's episode. Really, really happy that you could give us a bit of your time. Do you maybe want to start telling us a bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Thanks for having me. So I grew up in Abu Dhabi. I completed my medical education at St. John's Medical College in Bangalore, sitting in the south of India. After completing med school at short stints in ambulatory care and emergency medicine, a lot of which was actually moonlighting. <laughs> And then I moved to Germany seven years ago, and I've been with the editorial team at Ambos for close to six years now. Wow, six years. Long, long time. And you're enjoying it, I guess, if you've still been here for six years. Definitely. it's There's always something new and exciting on the horizon for us. Yeah, definitely. And you have not that long ago also sat your step exams, is that right? That's right. I gave my step one, I think, four years ago, and my step two CK close to a year and a half ago. Yeah, Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Really great to know that you've also done your steps and one of your biggest responsibilities and main role at AMBOSS is putting students' knowledge to the test with the AMBOSS question bank. So that's also recently included adding more questions on clinical competence and elements such as patient communication due to those changes that have been made in the Step 2CK exam. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask, you know, in your experience, not only as a physician, but also as a patient, why would you say is it important to incorporate these types of questions into a student's medical curriculum? So both Step 2 CK and Step 1 did actually have questions in the past on patient communication, even before the curriculum change. What has changed has actually been the weightage for this topic in the exam and the addition of this new area called systems-based practice into the curriculum. So I think regarding this whole topic of curriculum questions and testing, here's a hard fact. Most students tend to focus their attention on topics that they would likely be tested on in their actual high stakes exam. So this is, of course, pros and cons to it. But then as educators, the goal for us should be to make sure that we're actually testing on competencies that are most likely to be useful in real life situations. Back to your question about why it's important to have these questions. I think these questions and the related content are a starting point goes back to this whole idea of Bloom's taxonomy in which there are levels of learning. And having a knowledge base is an important foundation to some of the other steps in that taxonomy, such as application of that knowledge, maybe even creating new knowledge. So this applies to medical competencies, but also to topics such as patient communication and interpersonal skills. The questions that we create are based on schemas and best practice approaches, and they help you build that foundation level knowledge and give you a taste of application. Now, this will, of course, help you with further application of the real world and hopefully the future as even researchers or creators of more knowledge around these topics. I mean, there's, there's a short-term goal of being able to help you prepare for your exams, but also with the long-term goal of being able to provide you the knowledge base for real-world applications. 
And I guess that's very different answering those questions in an exam. But unfortunately, a lot of the emphasis gets placed on certain topics because they're important for the Mm -hmm. exam. So then other things get missed. And then the second issue being that, of course, you don't necessarily have the chance to put that into practice until Mm -hmm. a little bit later. And And that's when you really start to learn how to really develop those skills. Yeah. I'm curious to hear about how you learn to develop these specifically. So I know developing these soft skills is really important and it can be really hard, but it's integral when working within the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So how much of this was part of your curriculum in med school and how much of Mm -hmm. it was learning on the job? I mean, for me, it was a lot of it was actually just learning on the job. And I didn't have the level of knowledge that I do now about patient communication and systems-based practice when I started my clinical internship. During my medical education, started from the second year of med school, we had to interact with patients daily during clinical rotations and learn to take history and perform an examination. And we were taught these schemas and what information to gather, why we gather this information and how to interpret the information that we gather. But I felt that we were, at least in my experience, we were left largely to our own devices, basically, when it came to understanding how to gather that information in an appropriate manner. And if for us, if anything, the goal was actually just to learn to gather the information in a time frame that would actually be permitted on the actual practical exam. So that would be 45 minutes or 20 minutes, depending on the type of case that we would get. So that was sort of the focus for the students. Once in a while, we would have senior residents and professors observe our interactions with patients and provide feedback. But for the most part, we were just trying. And even during these sort of sessions, we would just observe how our senior residents and professors were gathering information, just try to mimic their behavior, essentially. Yep. And when it comes to lectures, I mean, we had a lot of lectures, but in this sort of lecture format, I don't think we had a lot on patient communication or anything for that matter on patient communication and distance-based practice. We had a lot of lectures on ethics during our final year, but nothing specifically mm-hmm. on those two particular areas that I just spoke about. And to be honest, in my second and third year of med school, I sort of developed a very strong disliking towards lectures because most of them were based on a lecturer reading through a bunch yeah. of PowerPoint slides that was created a long time ago and reused every year because they didn't yeah. have the time and energy to you know, create material for that yeah. lecture. You know, I I think it doesn't matter how many lectures you go to, how many lectures you miss. There's really nothing that can prepare you for working in person on the job unless you're actually there and you start going. And if you could, you know, go back in time and speak to your past self, what tips would you give yourself to help prepare you better? I mean, there was actually nothing on the exams for my medical licensure that were based around systems-based practice or patient communication. Besides, of course, this whole competency of gathering history, performing okay. a physical, coming right. to a diagnosis, and having those competencies for your end of rotation assessments or for your end of your exams, practical exams, so to speak. But the real learning happened for me during my internship year. And during that, we were, we were in the front lines in wars and had to communicate with patients and their relatives. In India, it's also quite different to sort of my experience with medical setting here where you have not only patients in wards but also pretty much the entire extended family accompanying them to the wards so you you are communicating not just with a patient but also gathering information from your family wow. yeah. <laughs> that sounds intense yeah. yeah it is but during my internship that's when it actually dawned me how complex the healthcare system is i still have a lot of bittersweet memories and I would probably pay a bit more attention to that knowledge base. Now, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, it's easier to say that, but you don't know what you don't know yet. Exactly. <laughs> and I think it's easier to draw out with an analogy. So, for example, often in the wards, you're faced with this question of whether to order a D-dimer test to rule out a DVT or a pulmonary embolism, or you want to escalate the workup to a venous duplex study. So you've got this problem and you want to avoid an over-workup, you want to avoid an under-workup. 
So as medical students, you learn this schema about the well score. And with time and experience, you sort of internalize these score estimations and you develop like a gestalt based on the overall patient presentation that actually correlates quite well with these scores when you try and calculate themselves. So you don't have to do the score estimations every single time. You can start to rely on your gestalt more often. Now, I think you can use this analogy also for things like patient communication system-based practice, right? So there are schemas that are available for a lot of these common issues that occur during patient encounters. Now, these schemas can serve as a starting point for you so that you can work with them and you're not shooting in the dark. And with time, you can learn to adapt those schemas to better fit every patient encounter. Because, of course, every patient has their own sets of problems. You have to adapt it to their needs. You as a physician, you have your own style and way of communicating. With time, you would learn to adapt those schemas as well and approach a difficult piece of patient communication with the same level of enthusiasm that you would approach the chance to put in like a central line or perform a lumbar puncture. Yeah. Like with anything, with communication, the more you do it, the better you will get at it. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's really good advice. And essentially, practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, with the removal of the step two CS exam, the downside there, as you said, again, is kind of role play situation that students are already kind of aware of what's expected of Mm -hmm. them. So it's not necessarily a very sort of realistic base for that practice. Mm -hmm. But even though maybe that exam isn't there anymore, that kind of role play, I think, can also be really useful, right, Mm -hmm. beforehand. And I know, you know, within AMBOSS, a lot of our students really like to use those clinical cases Mm -hmm. and patient history checklists and sort of put themselves in different scenarios. And if you can just kind of change your brain and sort of think you know i really am in that situation it's all going to help yeah mm-hmm. i think that's really important yeah so what are some of the challenges that you faced in your time in the clinic with patient communication besides like communicating with an entire family at once and <laughs> trying to do an entire history and physical in 20 minutes yeah i think for me the biggest challenge was the language barrier yeah so in india there are many systemic challenges and one of them is of course the resource constraints and access to certified medical interpreters is not something that is widespread in india and even to this date so i worked in bangalore and english is sort of my lingua franca and then my mother tongue is malayalam a language that's spoken in the state in the south of india and in bangalore most people speak Kannada, which is a language of the state but you also have a lot of people who come in from other states such as andhra pradesh and Tamil nadu and even sometimes as far as west bengal and when i started med school i could take history of course in english but then at most then in malayalam and to an extent in hindi but i couldn't take history in Kannada. i couldn't speak to patients in Telugu or Tamil and forget Bengali. (laughs) And so this was quite difficult for me, especially during my initial patient encounters. We had a couple of medical students who were from the region and could speak Kannada. And so initially it was, we were relying a lot on them to, you know, take the history. But then what happened is, of course, was that they would get better and better at it. And you were at a point where you were relying on them to take history. And so you were not developing the skills yourself. But Ultimately, again, back to that point about doing what is necessary to pass your exams for us, we weren't allowed the excuse of not being able to take history in the patient's language. If you weren't able to take your history, you would fail the exam. Mm -hmm. So that sort of forced me to, you know, have a bunch of pages with common translations, just start from somewhere. But with time, I got better at it. I take a history. I could manage. That's sort of my key takeaway from this. Right. Yeah. We've talked a lot now about everything sort of from a a physician's perspective and the challenges that you face from this side. And I thought it would also be really interesting to look at it from the other side as a patient. Mm. And so I wanted to ask Blaze if you'd ever had an experience as a patient yourself where Mm. you felt that your physician didn't necessarily have the interpersonal skills that they needed when they treated you. 
I've been a patient a couple of times and I think for any physician who's been a patient, it can be quite a learning experience. And recently, in fact, I had to be brought to the hospital and that was actually quite an interesting experience. I was just sitting on the couch and over the course of an hour, I started to have chest pain that grew in intensity. For the week leading up to that point, I've had like this weird discomfort in my retrosternal and paralumbar area. And I was like, okay, maybe I just slept badly. But on that particular day, this the pain just became worse and worse. And by the end of the year, suddenly I started having sudden palpitations and like mm -hmm. sudden onset dyspnea. And this was scary because I've never experienced something in my life up to this point. And I was alone at that point and I really thought that I was actually going to die alone because I, it was it was insanely scary to have like literally your heart pounding out of your chest, having that sense of gasping for air. Mm -hmm. So I managed to call the emergency services here in Berlin. The paramedics came and my partner and she'd come in as well. It was sort of a surreal experience because on the one side, I was like lying on the couch as the paramedics came in, like I was still in pain and was sh completely shaken by the whole situation. And the paramedics came in I've seen paramedics in action and they started doing what they generally do with what they're good at. And they're using all this medical jargon and things that I understand. And, mm -hmm. and at the same time, I'm in shock. Mm -hmm. Then they wheeled me off in an ambulance to the hospital and they examined me. They asked me a couple of questions. They took me from one place, one room to another. Then I was kept there for observation. And after six hours, I was discharged. So the good thing is I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Didn't have a heart attack or anything. My ECGs were negative. My trop valleys were all fine. And, but now I'm like, what is this? And so apparently I happened to have COVID four weeks before this had actually happened. And they've been seeing a lot of young men a couple of weeks after COVID who pop up in the ER with sudden onset palpitations and dyspnea. And it goes away. They completely file in most cases, not even myocarditis. But of course, it was a crazy experience for me. Scary, I bet. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm glad that it turned out okay. Yeah, I'm really glad you're okay. Stressful just listening to that. I was in shock, of course, for the first hour. But then once I was wheeled into the ER and things had calmed down, the chest pain also subsided quite a bit. Then I could think a bit more rationally and reflect yeah. what's happening. And during this whole process, I had this whole sensation of losing control. Like I suddenly had no control of what was happening around me. I was just being moved from one place to another. And not people weren't telling me anything. And luckily, I had the foresight from my experience as a physician. I know what's going to happen. They're going to do an ECG. They're going to check my TROP levels. They're going to keep me under observation. They're going to do repeat an ECG after a couple of hours. And if everything is fine, it's no longer an ER case. This can be handled on a non-emergent basis. Right. I knew this, but none of this was communicated to me. People were asking me questions. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like they were spending more time in the center of the ER hall talking to each other, discussing cases, <laughs> and less time with the patients who were all around. Yeah. Personally, that story really resonated with me, Blaze, especially as, you know, I'm not a physician and having also been a patient in the past. I think if you don't have a medical background and nobody is communicating with you and you are already extremely stressed and unwell, it's really difficult mm -hmm. yeah. because you have no idea what's happening and you definitely will have trouble to calm your anxiety if you have no idea what's happening. So I think right. even just if you're able to put in that little bit of communication just to say this is what we're going to do next please mm -hmm. don't worry you're okay can make a massive difference to somebody's experience you know a quick few words or a sentence yeah yeah absolutely i think a lot of it also has to do with the culture so i'm originally from the us but i live in poland now where i went to medical school and i also lived in korea for two years and in the healthcare systems, they're very different in those three places. Mm -hmm. So in the U.S., we almost demand to know what's going to be done with us, what operations are going to happen, where I'm going to be, how long I'm going to be there. 
In Korea, the sense is much more, the doctor knows best, they will do it, they don't need to tell you anything, just go <laughs> along with it, and it's accepted. And yeah. then in Poland, it's very similar, but there's also the pushback of, I still want to know. And so yeah. these all come together and make for some really stressful situations where mm -hmm. it would just be alleviated by just communicating, you Absolutely. know, just yeah. tell someone yeah. what's going to happen. And we have an article in the AMBOSS blog about this too, where some patients just want to know how long they're going to be in this ward for. That's Absolutely, it. Yeah. Yeah. But it wouldn't take a lot of effort, just two or three sentences. Just communicating that plan of action would suffice. Yeah. And like you said before, like even with uh, language barriers, like you could still communicate. An ECG is okay. You're going to stay here for two hours and we'll send yeah. you home. Like you can do that with sign language. I could do that in Polish and I don't speak Polish. You can get that information <laughs> across if you really need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you go from the classroom into the hospital or into the clinic, it's such a shift between you're studying lots of different things, you're trying to retain lots of information, then you're trying to apply all of that knowledge that you've learned, and you're also trying to deal with people that you haven't dealt with previously, and you're trying to listen to that, you know, really long spiel that someone might give you, and then pick out all of that differential information and guide their questions as well. And I wonder, you know, do you think possibly when you go into practicing it's harder at the beginning because you feel you have to do everything right you have to incorporate all the things that you've learned and then with time as you've both just said it's as simple actually as, as just one sentence yeah this goes back to what Blaze was saying before. You have to adapt those schemas that you learn and you adapt and you really dig into what's important, what's most necessary. So first patient encounters are really tough, but the more you do, the more you learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. We tend sometimes to forget that the focus of all of this is the patient. We are sort of a service. We get sometimes fascinated with all of our knowledge and all these fancy tools and gadgets mm -hmm. that we have. And we forget that the patient should be at the center of the focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we touched on a lot of important topics there. I'm really, really glad. Thank you, Blaze, for sharing like your personal experience. Yeah, glad you're okay too. Thank you. Yeah. A lot of the systemic challenges that we have occur in every single healthcare system, and some of them are unique to the region that you practice in. And when you start off as a physician, you might think that some of these systemic challenges are insurmountable, and this is just the way it is. I think at that point, focus more on what are some of those things that you can do as yourself that are within your control to improve outcomes. And I think try and incorporate things that require a little effort from your part can bring a lot of benefit. And this is why systems-based practice has been introduced in the curriculum. Physicians eventually end up in positions of leadership within the healthcare system. And a lot of things revolve around your decision-making abilities. So when you're in these leadership positions, you also have the ability to change things within the system. And so at that point, you can take a step back and start looking at a bigger picture. But until you get to that point, you can always think about how to incorporate things that don't require a lot of effort on your part, but can still bring a lot of benefit. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good takeaway and treat people as you would like to be treated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's empathy in a nutshell, right? <laughs> Basically, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. We learned so much and it's been great having you. Blaze, thank you especially for taking the time to be here and sharing your knowledge and experiences. We hope that today's topic and tips will help all students in preparing to provide the best patient care and experience when working on the wards. Just remember, it's as much about medical knowledge as it is about a patient's experience, and it's all about practice. Today, we looked at the patient experience and talked about the importance of developing communication, empathy, and interpersonal skills when it comes to providing the best patient care possible, in addition to having your medical knowledge. Head to the links in the description for more tips on developing these skills and some extra resources related to today's episode. If you have any specific topics that you would like us to cover or questions that you would like to ask, please get in touch at int 
podcast at amboss.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave us a rating. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And again, really big thank you, Blaze. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Don't forget, everyone, you can check out the Amboss platform for your medical studies and sign up for a five-day free trial at amboss.com if you haven't done so already. The Amboss blog can also be found at blog.amboss.com forward slash US. And all information about our Amboss podcast and the Amboss platform can be found at go.amboss.com forward slash international podcast.